and that's it started. Hello, you're listening to, uh, forgot the name of my own podcast there, don't listen to this, um, podcast all about 1,001 albums to listen to before you die, or allegedly should. Uh, I'm your host, Ewan Gledo, I'm a journalist of at least a year's experience, writing about music for Cult Following, Clapper, Geek Show, Daily Star, etc, etc. And I'm joined by, today, a very, very special guest, in the sense that I've known you for about three years. That's, that's, that's... I, I, I wouldn't say special. <laughs> That's special. It's Jason Button. Um, Hello. Do you want to tell people what you do? Oh, okay. Um, I'm a. Um, oh God, where to start? Um, I'm a journalist, <laughs> music fan, um, live music addict. Um, been writing for best part of ten years now, mainly about sport, bit of music in there as well, bit of culture stuff as well. So, yeah. Well, I mean, no need to show off. <laughs> oh, oh, it's the only thing I've got going for me. It's fine. Yeah, the right, yeah, it's the same, yeah. It's, and that's dwindling at best with my wrist status, you know. <laughs> um, what have you been listening to recently? What 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 albums have you been having on the go? The recently? Um, yeah. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm normally a proper album listener. I like to, I'm the sort of person who, who goes through stuff from start to finish. Yeah. But of late, I've really not. Like, for, for whatever reason, I, th- I think cause I was at Kendall Calling. I'm not sure how well this is going to be timed or how it's going to be put out. But I was at Kendall oh. Calling a couple of a couple yeah, weeks ago, and and so um, I've basically just had best of the Bombats sort of thing, basically. <laughs> that um, oh, it's yeah um, ha- oh, there's to be fair, it's annoying because 2022 has got some amazing albums. There's been all sorts of amazing things, but I keep going back to Yard Act and Wet Leg. Yeah, that's that's the exact same. I've got um, it was. Yeah, Yardak and Wet Leg are always on the playlist. And it's like, should I should I give this new Panic of the Disco album a listen? No, I don't think so. It's back to Elton John covers with Yardak. So much nicer. Um, <laughs> it's a very good cover, though, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, Tiny Dancer, what a song, but something about War James from Yardak doing it. Is his name James? I feel like it's James. James, yeah. James with yeah. a strong Yorkshire accent. Yeah, I'd better figure it out. I'm off to see them in November. But um, big up the student unions. Um <laughs> Uh, but we're talking about Arctic Monkeys today. Um, we are from one Sheffield band to another. One she- There's a lot of bands from Sheffield, I've noticed. Um, a lot of artists from Sheffield, such as, you know, the, the, the people that made the best album of all time, Pulp, but I'm sure we'll get into that later. Um, there are, uh, uh, you know, considering, well, I mean, whatever people say I am, that's what I'm not. That's their first album, Arctic Monkeys, 2006. Um and from there have become this astronomically huge band. Um, but this is the only album they've got on the list, which I think is weird. It's um, also, I think, their only album that is almost good all the way through. Oh, right, I, okay. I'm, I'm not going to say it's the best album, but yeah. it's the only album that I think is consistent enough to warrant it being considered to be a truly good, good album. Okay, all right. I'm not. Okay. I'm not having this. This um, AM's the best Arctic Monkeys album. No, like, no, 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 no. No, absolutely not. Not having that. I am. Um, you know, I think AM like a, a couple of the tracks on here, which I'm. I'm sure we'll talk about further down the line. Is they've kind of been tainted by club culture. Um, yes, absolutely. But in in a way, and again, um, yeah. I'm sure we'll get into this. But it kind of fits why why it's become part of this yeah. part of this and culture sort of thing, I guess. Well, absolutely, yeah. And I suppose that the 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 real impact of this album is that it does feel like a nightclub going off in your ears. Um, 
But, you know, have you got any memories with this album? I'm, I'm, I know we spoke song. briefly about it before we started. Because <laughs> um, I know where my memories are with this album. <laughs> Um, it's it's, it's going to sound kind of blasphemous for me to say this, but I only listened to this album for the first time in full in, I think it was 2017. Yeah. Like, I I was not a fan of Arctic Monkeys for a long, 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 long time. I, I knew that, for them. Busy listening to yeah, Weezer. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it was my main um, first memories of this album were the singles being played on Radio 1 back in, like, 2006, seven sort of time. And really? that's that's basically it. And I had other than again, other than the singles, I had very little from it until 2016 when I went to oh, uni. Yeah, because this was all six. Yeah, I wasn't old enough to have thoughts back then. <laughs> so I barely was. <laughs> yeah, well, still are. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. A lot of a lot of Arctic Monkeys, and I mean a lot of Arctic Monkeys, is solely tied to university, which I'm sure it is for a lot of people because it's sort of our generation that grew up at uni by the time Arctic Monkeys had exploded, it was like, by the time I got to uni, I think Tranquility Base had just released. Um, which that was 2017, wasn't it? 2017, 2018, yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, that one's not going to get played in the clubs, which is a damned shame. because the It Ultra is, it's a shame, because there's some very good songs on there. Ultra Cheese is the best song Arctic Monkeys have ever done. I'm saying that now. That's... It's, the, it's, the worst, it's the worst song on the album, by quite a way. It's... <laughs> it, Really? I, I, I was so, when they released the track listing, I was so excited to be like, oh, there's a song called The Ultra Cheese, here we go. And it's, and it's dire. Brilliant. It's absolutely horrific. It's so good. It's still got pictures of friends on the wall. It's a perfect song opener with a bit of piano. Lovely. <laughs> Back of the net. Um, but no, obviously, I, I suppose the, the biggest one is Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor, because Aaron at Indy would always play that at some point in yeah. the evening. Um, in between me staggering up the stairs to request Disco 2000 and fumbling <laughs> back down them. Um, our, one particular moment I remember Arctic Monkeys for in, in indie specifically was I was dancing with a girl I'd been seeing at the time and she asked me who this was halfway through a song. And I'm not going to badger someone for not knowing an artist, but it's kind of universal at this point. that yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not one to gatekeep at all. No, no. But, but it's it's one of those songs that, like, for people of our age, it's just kind of like it was just always there in a way. Yeah, it's it's it, it's like the, it's not the yeah. crap jokes that people make about Mr. Brightside. It is, it is. It's but at least at, at least Betty Look Good on the Dance Floor is really good. Exactly. Um, that's the thing, and I suppose that that gives us a nice bridge into the the impact of the album is that Arctic Monkeys on the debut managed to what I think is make the only album that successfully captures not just the nightclub aesthetic but the the before and after of it, the actual going out and the actual it's, trying to It's get the through. whole culture of British nights out, if you like, isn't it? It's the because yeah. there's everything from trees to getting a taxi back when you're path cutting at four AM, that sort of thing. Yeah. And everything it's, in It's um what was it? Um I've got it written down, but I'm gonna be very unprofessional and just search for it now. Um I think it's there's a song in there that's on about taxi ranks and there's a fight. Yes, uh, red lights, red, red light indicates yeah. doors are secured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's those little moments, those little pepperings of detail that make Arctic Monkeys' first album. This is a debut, a debut album of this quality, unbelievable. Um, but it's what makes it so sophisticated and so specific and regionally powerful. And it's not something they got onto. Ever again, I don't think. 
But um, yeah, it's it's the sort of thing where I think there's some there's a lot of bands who try and recreate this sort of album, and yeah, it just doesn't work because you can tell that they've not experienced that in the last fifteen years. Yeah, like, it's exactly. So that, yeah, to, to do that. So in a way, fair play to because then that was one of my criticisms is that they only wrote what they knew on this album. Yeah, that was like my one thing. It was very kind of one dimensional, if you like. It it is yeah. But let's say that. Yeah, if you're 17, 18, living in Sheffield, yeah, without much cash, then that is, and that's what you know. Then that's what you can write about. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose it's their one writing line is something that we entertained ourselves with for three years at uni. So I suppose the yeah, that's trade off and, and the rest to be fair, and the rest. Um, I mentioned to you before we started that I had an insert to read from the actual book of a thousand one albums from Robert Dimery and his collection of journalisms. Um. And I'm going to read that now because I do want to see what you think about it. Just just for a bit of context, like I did with the previous episode. Um, 2006, Arctic Monkeys released whatever people say, and that's what I'm not. Uh, it was branded in genre-wise indie rock and garage rock revival. Yeah, sure. Yeah, pr- pretty much. Um, Alex Turner on vocals, Jamie Cook on guitar, Andy Nicholson on bass, and Matt Helders on drums. Andy Nicholson's only album with the band. Um Yes, he left due to was it touring stress? I think he I did. Think, yeah. After the first and album, yeah. He's been doing some interesting projects since then, but his Wikipedia page hasn't been updated since 2013. So <laughs> neither's mine. Um, a, a YouTube. So I was listening to Suck It and See before we started this because that's the the one I find the least love for, but it's been improving as I've gone on. Uh, and someone left a comment on Brick by Brick that said, "Arctic Monkeys really do sing about bricks more than any other band." And I suppose that's the best description for them. They do really like singing about bricks. Um, but as far as it's, the internet, it's goes, weird. They're, they're the sort of band where like those jokes can't be made. But in a way, trying to like bring it back, it's kind of like they like if you look at the, some of the lyrics, it like descriptively, it's like really well done for someone of Alex Turner's age. Oh yeah, it's um... and considering as well before they started doing. Um, songs with lyrics. A lot of what I did was um, was just instrumental. It's um, I'm always scared of young artists that can write that well because I, I I just you know that they're going to get better. It's mm. like you know I think lyrically speaking, Alex Turner's probably one of the most interesting. I wouldn't say he's one of the best, but he's very interesting on a sense of all right, no need no need to write that much good stuff so early on. It's like pace yourself you know richard hawley took 40 years to do this let's let's cool your jets um but the insert who which was written by one of the journalists in the book um read racing to the top of the charts on a wave of pure attitude and self-belief the arctic monkeys i'm just going to pause there they have written the arctic monkeys i know it's it's a good start mark we we both know, having written about Arctic Monkeys before, it's just Arctic Monkeys, not the Arctic Monkeys. But what can you do for a, a book that has the strokes? Is this it on the cover? So we will move on. Um, the Arctic Monkeys had the biggest impact on British music since Oasis snarled their way to number one a decade previously. Sheffield born and bred, the band referenced hometown landmarks and characters in the broadest local accents heard on the radio for ages. Building on their fierce local following, the Monkeys created a wave of online support on MySpace, offering free content to the masses across the web and harnessing the site's immense promotional power for the first time. 
The result was the headline-grabbing smash hit number one single, I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor. The wry mocking lyrics sounded so confident that some suggested the hand of Sengali arch pranksters, the KLF, were mooted, was involved. That's just a, a word sandwich, but I think... I also like that you said the Arctic Monkeys and the Monkeys, and not reference the monkeys. Arctic Monkeys at all. That's the thing, it's like, the Monkeys is in... As in, as in hey, hey with monkeys? I hope so. <laughs> I, I'd love to hear them do a cover of I Bet You Look Good on the dance floor. <laughs> Just someone in the background with a tambourine going, yeah! Brilliant. Uh, one more paragraph for us to power on through. Um, Go for it. Whatever people say I am, it's titled a reference to a line from era-defining 60s film Billy Liar, debuted at number one, became the fastest-selling UK debut album ever, and won the UK's Mercury Prize. Fueled by the same taut teenage riffing that made the undertones minor legends decades before, the music was rooted firmly in everyday life. On perhaps vampires is a bit strong, but the Arctic Monkeys ably critiqued the tabloid-fueled rock celeb scene. Well, I ain't got no dollar signs in my eyes. That might be a surprise, but it's true. As most rock stars are more likely to be seen drinking at a showbiz party than playing a guitar, what could be more rock and roll than that lyric? Um, a lot to unpack there. Like like Christmas morning for music fans, that is. It's, there, there, there is, there's a lot in there, isn't there? I just want to, before we dive into the obvious problem, I just want to say, <laughs> well, I ain't got no dollar signs in my eyes, that might be a surprise, but it's true. Out of every lyric you could pick from Alex Turner as a critique of the music industry, why that one? I, I was about to say, because there's a whole song on this album, Fake Tales of San Francisco, which yeah. I would argue makes that point far, far better. It does. That the, the, the line about the wannabe rockers uh, sorting their lines in the bathroom, that's mm. much better. Um, but again, like I said to you before we started this recording, um, a lot about Arctic Monkeys being influential and popular and crucial to the music scene, not much evidence of it. We both know that there okay. is something there. They don't. <laughs> um it, 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 there's a lot there, and I, you know, Arctic Monkeys are critiquing the tabloid fueled rock celeb scene, but not with that song, which is arguably the weakest song on the album. Um, yeah, it's just strange, strange words. It is, and it's it's something that just like makes it sound as though I don't want to critique somebody who's put a load of time into this massive, massive project. My whole podcast is based on that. <laughs> That's what I'm here to do. But like, it's it's odd that the main focus of that is the music itself, in a way. Yeah. Because there's so much behind... Because, like, let's face it, how many albums are there done by bands around that sort of time about getting getting pissed and going on nights out? So the main the main thing about this should be the way that it was released and popularized, because because otherwise you could basically just put in the pigeon detectives in there and it'll make no difference at all. Please don't mention the pigeon detectives in the same light as Arctic Monkeys, thank you. Not on my podcast. I'm, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get hate tweets after that, honor. Yeah, just wait until you do a Bob Dylan episode. That's that's where the footage is. <laughs> um, yeah, but you are right though. It is essentially what makes this album different to a lot of the others at the time is the lyricism and how it was released. That MySpace bit, um, I didn't know about until I'd read this, but then did about two seconds of research and thought that is pretty cool. Um, it's it's a rare example of an artist adapting to the times around them and thinking this is going to be the next big thing and being correct. Um, 
I'm sure there's other examples that have left my scatterbrained memory. But It's also interesting, though, that at the time, I think I remember reading that they didn't intend to use social media at all. It was a purely fan-led, not not campaign, but it was a fan-led a paid movement in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's even more impressive. And I suppose if MySpace was still a thing, that would be cool. But I never had MySpace. I was... I, I, I was a couple. I was a couple of years too young for MySpace. Yeah, yeah. that's. We should bring it back. But speaking of bringing it back, let's bring it back to focusing on the album. Um, the impact of the album, I suppose, we should get out of the way because um, I think it's difficult to talk about albums that this this album sixteen years old. I didn't know. That's that. terrifying. That is that absolutely is terrifying. Horrifying. Yeah. I mean, you know, AM was twenty thirteen, which is like the big album um no well in america yeah their american break which is what blur always wanted but could never do um it's i'm just gonna sort of say what i think of this album it's likely one of the best debut albums we'll ever see it's monumentally good i can't think of many other debut albums that are this good because for all there are great musicians and better lyricists none of them had the context and the quality that Ark the Monkeys displayed on their first album. And I think a lot of that has to do with how they pace themselves into going into the album. It reminds me of what Talking Heads did, where they took two years to make their first album. They refused record deals. They refused to be rushed into the studio because they wanted to make sure their sound was right. And you get that feeling with Arctic Monkeys. They've got a clear pattern and a clear path to follow and pursue on whatever people say, and that's what I'm not, which is capturing the aesthetics and qualities and sounds of a nightclub atmosphere the fallout after it and the build-up before it. And it's done with such confidence, considering it's their debut, that it's a bit scary. Um, That's the thing with me. It's the confidence in which they're able to just, like, throw themselves out there. And yeah. I think as well, going back to the MySpace hype surrounding it, I lo- I'm I'm an absolute sucker for track listing and the way it's yeah. like developed and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. So when the opening line of an album is anticipation has a habit to set you up for disappointment, it's That's, perfect. Yeah. It's like it's a, it's a brilliant. Just poke, just see what happens oh, yeah. from there. It's, it's it's brilliant comedy. It's unbelievable. It's essentially a, a slapback at the critics who might not enjoy it, but also Alex Turner being a bit nervous. It's like just just steady your expectations. We're going to release Tranquility Base and blow this one out of the water <laughs> years later. Don't laugh. Got it, the it's, it's, it's a similar thing to there's that famous video where it says don't believe the hype. it's a very similar thing to that isn't it it is yeah and it's it's kind of where I like the KLF reference in the insert is that KLF were really actively going against their audience their critics and people that wanted to listen to their music (laughs) Um, I think the the infamous story that I always remember and I've not read the book yet but um, they took the money that they made from their single like their hit Doctor Who rip off thing took the money out in cash and then burnt it in a yeah. Because yeah, they, they went up to it was them. a it was a Scottish island in the Highlands, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And they just burnt a million there. Yeah. Now, obviously, Arctic. I'm not saying Alex Turner's going to do that with the proceeds he got from whatever people say. But there is that spirit underlying the album. There mm. is a a real attitude here that would build and build really nicely onto their follow up album, which was Favorite Worst Nightmare. Um, it's only here though that you can find colloquial regionally specific lines and i do like that a lot because there's a real fine art to making regional locations something that other people can adapt to and 
link up with. And you can find that in the mood of it as well, which is essentially fly on the wall, drink and pub culture, um, specific to the experiences of Alex Turner. But it turns out those specific experiences happen everywhere. Fascinating, because um, it's, it's, it's not, obviously the, you have like big, big cities around for nights out, Sheffield, Newcastle, that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, it's a club's a club. But once you're in those four walls, oh, the same yeah. music's going to be playing up and down the country. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Unless you're indie and you get to like three in the morning, they start playing Sound and Vision, which is just <laughs> always my favourite part of the night. Um, yeah, but you're right. It's sort of... There's a glamorization of pub culture in the indie music scene that Arctic Monkeys really specified and lighted essentially it's they they put the match burn and underneath it was all these musics all these musics all these musics and sounds that came all, all, all of the musics all of the music well put it this way right apart from i mean when we went to indie apart from like the occasional sam fender track you're getting the wombats you're getting teenage dirtbag you're getting all the songs that are going to be played up and down the country yeah and it's the it's an amazing untruth, the fact that people can listen to that in the clubs and enjoy themselves and think, this is specific to me and us in a region that is far, far away from somewhere like Brighton. But Brighton, all the way down on the other side of the country, is playing Teenage Dirtbag. They're not playing South Fender, though. Not yet. No, uh, but they're playing the same tracks up and down. Yeah. Oasis, Pulp, Blur, Sway. They're all playing the same songs. And everybody around the country thinks, this is specific to this location. You can't get this anywhere else. And it's like, you can. I've been to Wellian Hull. Um, a lot of stairs in that place, but it, say, you know, that's things like Forty Sous in Manchester has this massive hype <laughs> around it, being like, oh, it's it's the it's the indie nightclub sort of thing. Yeah, and it's like it's one of many indie nightclubs in that part of Manchester alone because it's Manchester. Yeah, and it's. I think it's thank God Newcastle hasn't had a massive indie pop band from this era because otherwise we would not hear the end of it. That's, I'm, um, so, I'm so, in a way, I'm pleased that I completely missed out on the Maximo Park oh, kind of yeah. era because that would have been Hell. obsessive. I think I only barely made it through the Casabian era when they started coming up here. That was hell on earth. <sighs> yeah, man, it's been, I saw Casabian in 2008, and yeah. from there, I just like okay, they're they were bands that exist. Yeah, they and released a new album today. I think today. Well, when we're recording this, I think they're gearing up to release a new album. Yeah, I is... think yeah they they announced it a couple of days ago, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a grim time for music. I'm just sitting quietly until Pixies release their new work, um, <laughs> which will be out by the time this podcast's out anyway. So it was pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, I've already listened to it. I got I got sent the screener for it. But um, as far as that music culture goes, though, what Arctic Monkeys have managed to do is blend a perfect balance between. This is their experiences with it, but they're just so universally accepted. Like we've all seen a, a fight in a taxi rank. We've all seen someone neck a bottle of Smyrna Ice. You, you know that I used to drink that pretty drinks. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying a word here. Two two liters of Smyrna Ice. <laughs> um, oh God, it didn't get you drunk. It just made your stomach hurt. But <laughs> as far as speaking of stomach hurting, um, the tracks and the overall quality of them. What what a good seg that was. Um. I've got a lot of praise to place on Matt Helders on drums, who must be knackered at the end of these recordings. That's unbelievably good. I think he is, I think in terms of technical ability, probably the best member of the band. 
in terms of yeah. what he's done and just even not away from the band because he's done a few other bits he's come on live for other artists. I think he was drumming for Iggy Pop at one point. Oh. And like, Iggy yeah, Pop as in, as in old as in, Iggy Pop. As in old Iggy Pop. Oh. Iggy Pop as in please stop taking your shirt off. You're like, not I, I, think there's, I think there's a clip um, of, yeah, I think Iggy Pop was on George Holland a few years ago. <laughs> yes, I know exactly which one. Yes. He's got the blazer <laughs> and he starts like stripping it off. It's like, please don't. But yeah, it, it, if, if you look at the drummer from that, it's Matt Helders. Matt Helders. He gets around more Matt Helders, doesn't he? He does. I think he's, he's, a, he's really high demand. He's very, very good. And yeah. can, can I say as well, going back to, I don't want to like Matt, um, screw up the Oh, don't list. worry about it. We're a freewheeling podcast. Oh, you go beautiful. For it. But it's interesting that you said about how long it you think it took to for the band to develop their craft because yeah. them going with Domino Records, this gonna sound really odd, but Domino Records, they allowed Franz Ferdinand to spend so much time on their debut album two two years previously. It was, yeah. Franz um, Ferdinand was so so aware of what labels could do. And Domino came in and went, Take your time, we're gonna make sure it's good, just yeah. do what you can do with it. And I can only assume that that's exactly what happened with Arctic Monkeys coming into this. Without a doubt, yeah. I mean, the amount of horror stories we hear about record labels interfering with artists. I mean, the infamous one for me is for 10 years, Johnny Cash was making albums and nobody knew about it because his record label were burying them. Um, it's, it's rather reassuring to see. I mean, Franz Ferdinand's a great example there because that album is fantastic. Um with Arctic Monkeys, you do get that feeling. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Where it's, you, you know, something's building, and I think the people in charge could see that, and it's like just take a step back and then let it explode. Especially, um, especially in the way that Arctic Monkeys were getting big, it wasn't, it wasn't really through the label. If anything, it was quite easy for them. It to was just... through MySpace friends. That's the thing. There was no, I mean, there was probably an advertising budget in one way or another, but like, yeah, not in the same ways they would have been for other albums at the time. Yeah, it was absolutely. Yeah. It, or not organically. And I suppose the longevity of it as well is that that album cover is now synonymous with modern culture. I don't want to say it's as big as Abbey Road, but it has that effect. You know, it mm. has the... If you see a guy smoking a cigarette on the front of an album cover, it's like, oh, Arctic Monkeys. It's gotten to the point where if Peep Shaw memes are made about it, then it's big. You know, you've got Mark Corrigan smoking a cigarette on the front of it with whatever people say I am. That means it's done. That's it's hit its peak of culture, um, but there aren't many album covers that I can think of that are so simple yet so loved. It um, is because I think I read the story about it, and they did. They just got him pissed and just took yeah. part of it. It's brilliant. That's the uh, that's how all albums should be made, unless it's like <laughs> opera. Maybe opera would be a bit better if it was pissed, though. You know? No, you never. I'd, I'd pay good money to see it, which I wouldn't do with normal opera. To be fair, <laughs> what's his name? Andre. Ryu, what's his name? The the guy that always does it on Christmas at Night of the Opera. Um, is it Andrea Bocelli? Yeah, something like that. Get him yeah. a few Thunderbirds and see how it goes. <laughs> Easy. Um, I suppose the the overall quality of the album sort of bleeds in from a certain few tracks. Because there are, like you said at the start of this, it's the most consistent the band have got, but there are still a few little dips. Oh, massively, nothing, yeah. nothing too incredibly like, oh, what is this? When I remember when I first listened to it, I wasn't particularly convinced by uh, Riot Van or the Vampires song. And yeah, I, th- I think Riot Van needed to be there because after having it. so many, it's because the start of that album is relentless. It's it's pretty heavy, yeah. Because like View from the Afternoon slaps you around the face straight <laughs> yeah. away. 
and rightly so because it does. Oh, it's, it's, that's the thing. It's a brilliant. It's yeah. probably Arctic Monkeys' best album opener. Yeah. Okay, I'll agree with that. Yeah. Um, actually, what was it on? Um, what's a uh, favorite worst nightmares opener? That's not. Ooh. It's not. Um, it's not Brian Stump because if it's Brian Stump, I'm afraid it's curtains for you. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to find it now. It's either Brian Storm or 505. Um, no, 505 is later on, isn't it? Oh, it is Brian Storm. Okay. All right. I mean, all right. So whatever people say, I'm the second best album opener of the Arctic Monkeys. That's fantastic. <laughs> really well done, lads. Um, I think what you do have, though, is actually, you know what? Looking at my ratings for Favourite Worst Nightmare though, and comparing them with what people say I am, their opening three tracks are always their most important. They yeah. they set the mood so well. Once people are invested, it's like, oh fuck me, my brain's up and awake now, and I'm intent and listening. That's when they can start calming it down. I mean, Dancing Shoes isn't quite the calmest song. It's but not. It, it's, it's kind of a transition sort yeah, of thing. It's, it's, it's got more of a like, it's got more of a rhythm to it because the view from the afternoon is just brash and yes, it, it doesn't really work in the same way as Dancing Shoes in a way. It's just yeah, absolutely yeah. It's, it's, it's very, it's much more just it's, it's just relentless. You go from view in the afternoon straight into bet you look good on the dance floor, which has a BPM faster than my heart rate. It's <laughs> glorious. I remember trying to um, perfect that on Guitar Hero, and I could never do it, and it's it still haunts me to this day. Um, <laughs> but you go from view in the afternoon, bet you look on the dance floor, and then the third track, Fake Tales of San Francisco. There's your big three of heavy hit and really fast paced get people waking up and moving. It's like, oh my God, if I don't take this out, my ears are going to start bleeding. But in a good way. And then and you go... With, yeah, because with Fake Tales of San Francisco, it's weird because it starts in this, in a more like standard sort of rhythm. And then yeah. by the end, it's it's exactly as brash as Good on the Dance Floor, Few from the Afternoon. Yeah. It's just, it is, again, it's just, it's just huge. It It's huge. And as well as that, it's, it's the album pleaser variety that I really... Mm feel quite fond for because I, I, everybody knows Arctic Monkeys can do singles really well but their album work is stunning it's, you know, I, I think the if, if you asked an average person for an Arctic Monkeys song, like if I asked my mate who didn't particularly like Arctic Monkeys, it's like what what's their song? So I bet you look good on the dance floor Brian Storm and then something from AM, which is great but the, they're, they're, a, they're a lot deeper a band than I thought they were and I think listening to their to the album work really really personified that for me it was um what was it it was that bridge between red light indicates doors are secured and then you've got something like a certain romance to cap off the album and it's like mm. these are lovely inclusions these are really strong tracks they're not i bet you look good on the dance floor but they're not right van so it's a nice <laughs> little bridge that's it it's it it's i think i said before that i'm i love a like, perfectly set track list yeah. And I've got it in front of me here, and I don't. I think maybe if you had Mardi Bum a little bit further down, yeah, then you've kind of because Right Van and Mardi Bum are the two slower songs on the album. I think if Mardi Bum was further down, it might work a bit better. Make I've been. I hate. I'll, I really dislike albums that finish on the only two slow songs on the album. Yeah, that that's that's a cop out of people are going to stay around for the. The faster stuff. Have some faith and a bit of confidence in your slow material. Get that. It, it, it's it's the one thing that I have against. Um, again, oh god, um, what did you expect from the vaccines? Oh their, yeah, their debut because yeah. they like the two slow songs in there are fantastic. Yeah, but they're stuck at the end. 
Like, give him a bit of room. I think that's the one thing you can say about Arctic Monkeys, though, is that regardless of the quality of their album, is that they were extremely confident with such a debut. Um, I think it's a matter of right place, right time for them as well, because mm. at, at the time with the sort of surge of indie rock bands and stuff, which we're kind of not seeing a bit now, but there are remnants of it coming through with stuff like Wet Leg Yard, and a bit of Sam Fender, is that there just needs to be confidence in the slower material because the the issue that someone like Scouting for Girls, for instance, might have is that their best song is probably the, you know, She's So Lovely. Mm. And it's a bit quicker, it's a bit better than most, but it's because they've got no faith in the rest of their tracks. There's no inclination for us to listen to them because they don't talk about them. And as, so, as someone who's seen Scouting for Girls live, there's no inclination to see them live either. That's <laughs> all. I saw them, the, um, they were touring Newcastle, but I, I'm leaving the country to get away from them. Because they played um, the the air show in Sunderland, I think it was 2019. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, there was them on the Saturday and Sophie Ellis Bexter on the Sunday. <laughs> Sophie Ellis Bexter was fantastic. Of course. And I think that's only because they were so, so bad. Really? I think oh, they did... Um, they were horrible. Oh. What's you call them? The one that's in Durham as well. They sometimes do that. When oh, Hardwick. Hard yeah, yeah Hardwick yeah. Live. They'll do that if Madness aren't available. But um, other than that, I'm not asked. And rightly so. It's either, yeah, that's it. It's like Hardwick Live either have Madness, Maddox, or a push scouting for girls. And yeah. then we got Stereophonics this year because all three are unavailable. Again, Stereophonics, awful live band. Yeah? Oh, you know, again, saw them at Kendall Corden a couple of weeks ago. Don't just bland. So oh, yeah, bland. I remember you saying, yeah. It was. Um, have you ever seen Arctic Monkeys live? That's I've not. Album. I've not. I, I've heard that they are not fan, not as good live as you'd expect them to be. Is yeah. probably the best way to put it. I've I've been wanting to see them for a while, but it's kind of you know what I'm like with uh, gigs. Just... Well, in that you haven't been to one, or that, <laughs> that you didn't go to one before COVID, basically. Excuse me, Elvis Costello was on the cusp of COVID. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, that shocked me, and it shocked a lot of people that I'd not actually been to a gig uh, until I was 20. Um, it shocked I'd me, seen, yeah. I'd seen Toy Story and Ice at Utilita. Oh, it's um, basically the same thing, that, isn't it? It is, yeah, it's a real Atmos. Mm. Um, but no, since then, it's kind of like, I've now got my little bucket list, but most of those have been ticked off by the end of this year. Um, mm. Yarduck and Bob Dylan, aren't they? <laughs> there we go, done. Um, but Arctic Monkeys, my brother's going to Leeds to see... Arctic Monkey's got a weekend ticket. He didn't really care for music. His favourite album is by Outcast, so I don't know how he's going to manage that. But <laughs> Outcast have got one one or two very good albums. They do. Stan Corny is pretty good. Um, I'll give them that. Um, but as far as Arctic Monkeys go, yeah, like you said, live, I've, I've, I'm not really inclined to... You know when like people upload to YouTube like live clips of their, their tour and stuff? I'm not really inclined to watch it as much as I would be for someone like Richard Hawley or other bands from Sheffield that will not be named again. <laughs> not yet, not um, named anymore. They, they've had their quota <laughs> for, for this episode. They've gotten, yeah, the, the band that are getting back together next year and I'm buying tickets <laughs> to about five of their concerts. Um, it's remarkable how good they sound on their album and I think the issue they've got is replicating that live is not an issue, but it just it's not interesting that much, really. It'd be great to hear it live because the atmosphere and the music that comes from being in a live atmosphere is great. That's However, I've seen I've seen clips of Arctic Monkeys live, and the only songs where I think I where I genuinely think okay that would be really good 
all songs from this album and yeah. the second one. Yeah, it, because it's it. But it, is that not because it's the same mentality and the same atmosphere that you get at a club playing it out of a speaker set? I, th- I think what it is is that it's close to the mentality of the album itself, which in Ooh. a way is, is what you've what you've just alluded to in that like it's everyone getting together, having a good time, getting pissed. Yeah, and it it, it suits that. For I think. If I was going to hear Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino live, I'd want, I'd want it to be in somewhere like the Sage and Gates. Yeah, like, it needs to. It, and properly appreciate it. The album needs to suit the venue. So yeah. it's, whatever people say, and that's not what I'm, what I'm not. That's a that's a, an arena tour album. That is your big. Obviously not at the time because who the fuck's Arctic Monkeys in two thousand and six? But I now will, I will say I will say there's a very very good clip on YouTube of Arctic Monkeys playing in I think it was two thousand five six time. At the Clooney in Newcastle, a place that really? we very dear. It's a it's a really good recording, actually. Fantastic. Oh, I still need to get myself to the Clooney. I, I there was a spare ticket for Yardak going. And I couldn't go because I'd work the next day, but it, it looked brilliant. Um, it, it's a it's a really good. I was there last Friday for Swim Deep. It was really really you good. Were, yeah, it's um. I think my my next. I mean, to put it in perspective, you're you're going to very cool gigs at the Clooney. My next gig is Don McLean at Sage Gateshead. That's all right though. That's all right. Yeah. They they turned up and said, "Hi, hey, do you want tickets to Don McLean?" It was like gave a quick check to see if he was still alive, and then said yes, <laughs> um, which is mad. Um, but speaking of mad, um, whatever people say I am, that's what I'm not. Is reportedly the fastest selling album in UK history. It moved three hundred sixty thousand copies in its first week. That's it what is. I, I saw. I was reading the um, the old two thousand six Pitchfork review. <laughs> yeah, this, this morning. Yeah, and it said that it sold it. Oh, it outsold the top twenty or the rest of the top twenty in its first day. Wow, that's. Is there anything? Any examples of what was in the top twenty? Because I imagine it's like Elton John's best of hits and stuff like I'll, that. I'll see if I can find it. Actually, one yeah, second. I'll I'll plug the gap with um just talking a bit about because I suppose we'll move on to the legacy because um I, I feel strongly that. Whatever people say, and that's what I'm not. It's a one-time experience for Arctic Monkeys. They would not replicate this blur of cultural experiences and colloquial terms again. AM does much the same as this, where it's sort of like, "Why do you only call me when you're high?" or uh, "Do I want to know?" They capture the doubt of a night out, but they don't capture the the real specifics, the location, the mentality, the the feelings of it. And and that's why I've always thought AM's a bit not soulless, but a little. Unmoving. It's a little. Say, spe- speaking of soulless, I found the top singles from them. <laughs> oh no! So Go on. at the time, it was um, "That's My Goal" by Shane Ward. <laughs> All right, that's a great start. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. JCB song by Niz Loppy, which, to be fair, I I have a very very soft spot for. <laughs> yeah. Um, "Hung Up" by Madonna again, quite a good song. Okay. Yeah. Um, "When I'm Gone" by Eminem. Oh. "Stuck with You" by Pussycat Dolls. And my personal favourite, My Humps by, by Black Eyed Peas. Oh, My Humps by Black Eyed Peas haunts me to this day. It's, um, you know, you know those like primary school discos where they got like the ball, the flashlights, and, mm. like the, the CD player. We had two CDs. We had, now that's why I call music, I think it was like 55, um, which had My Humps by Black Eyed Peas on. And we also had the best of Phil Collins. So <laughs> my disco days at primary school where you can't hurry love my humps susudio my humps horrifying just real <laughs> i can't escape phil collins he's, he's been haunting me for years he's not dead yeah but 
he's following me about. <laughs> I was about to say give it time, but that sounds very threatening. Give it time. He's finished his last tour. <laughs> um, <laughs> as far as the legacy of whatever people say, I'm, that's why I'm not Gauze. What do you think? Is it something that people should sort of take note of? Is this an album it's, that's really... It's something that I think is two or threefold. In terms of... We've already mentioned the whole MySpace thing and how big that was at the time. I think that, like, looking at the last few months, songs like ABCD, EFU, and that sort of thing that are big through TikTok wouldn't... I don't think that would have been appreciated until maybe two or three years afterwards if it wasn't yeah. for this album and the build-up that came around Arctic Monkeys at the time. Secondly, I it's a very like, like straightforward thing, but I think that this album um, reintroduced Landfill Indie to the UK, the worst yeah. thing that could possibly happen. Because we've already mentioned the Pigeon Detectives. I don't want to give them a third a third shout. <laughs> it just did. The Fratellis, Razorlight, that sort of thing, wouldn't yeah. have been a thing. Even Stereophonics coming through with a few things like 2008, I don't think that would have happened without this album. Because if you again, if you look at those top singles at the time, there's it's it's crap. It, it is, yeah. So, are you saying that Arctic Monkeys are to blame for the wave of indie trash that we had to deal with and sift through and still do? Pretty much. If, if it wasn't, I'll, I'll say this: if it wasn't for the Arctic Monkeys, for oh, the Arctic, oh no, oh, you've done it now. I've done it. I've done it. If it I wasn't, didn't for know you Monkeys, had inserts in the thousand and one albums, but. If it, if it wasn't for Arctic Monkeys, we would have never had Generator by the Holloways. Oh. oh. Which, it, 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 it sounds like it should be a bigger take than it is. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, certain, yeah. certain genres we've managed to stop coming into this country. Like, like, like grunge. <laughs> we've managed to batter it away by inventing our own sound. Um, another, one, another one from Sheffield, Reverend of the Makers, would never have been a thing if it wasn't for Oh, this. yeah. It's... The the impact of Arctic Monkeys, surprisingly, is mostly negative. <laughs> so, <laughs> an impact, nonetheless. But what they have impacted. And I think that's that's the issue I've got for a lot of, even albums from like the 80s, I can't really chart exactly who they've influenced. I can't say specifically, this has influenced this. And with Arctic Monkeys, I imagine there are a hell of a lot of bands that we've not heard of coming up through the grassroots now that are influenced by this album. I, I'm already thinking bands like the K's, the Sherlock's, who I used to like for a very short time. Things like that. Like the, the Sherlock's debut album is basically this, just yeah. not quite as not just not as heavy. Yeah. It's exactly the same themes, exactly it's just getting pissed, going out, and the antics that come from that. I will say as well that this album I think influenced the industry more than it influenced artists. Yeah. In in the again the way it was put out the way that it kind of showed that there was a way for guitar music to be that big again after you know ten years after Oasis came and fizzled out at that sort of time and yet yeah. they kept for another three years. <laughs> it's it's amazing that Oasis yeah it's kind of I'm always shocked by the existence of bands at the same time as others. Oasis had another three years after Arctic Monkeys released the first album. Like and they, they were still getting top 10 singles as well. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make sense to me. I can't connect those together, you know? it's. I mean, it's like three years later, Oasis had disbanded Blur were back together. And it's like, what? That I was about to say, yeah, because Blur did loads of stuff, yeah. uh, split up, came back, and then played the Brits by the time they that Oasis did, yeah. was still going. That's um, pretty much. 
It is, yeah. I mean, Damon Albarn had made Gorillas and then got bored of it and came back to Blur by the time Oasis were just about to split up. Um, do you think Arctic Monkeys have a sort of hold on that though? Because surely the, the sort of surge in guitar music being popular again, old bands that had lost their popularity are starting to turn their head and go, "Hang on, there might be something going on here." I do, and I think I think yeah. you said before it was a case of right place, right time, and I think it yeah. applies with this as well. It's one of those things where it's like, put it in two thousand three. I don't know if that would have come through as, as well because yeah. you had um, white stripes coming through. The Strokes were were getting a much much big. bigger. Well, as big as you can get <laughs> yeah. if, if you're lead singer Julian Casablancas, but big in Japan, exactly. <laughs> um, I don't I don't mean to slate the Strokes. I do like is this it? I just don't think it's the the peak of indie pop from the early 2000s. I think this no, might it's, be it. it's really not. Um, and another another um, another um, one as well. Hot Chip. I reckon. Oh God, they, yeah, Hot Chip. I think if it wasn't for this, they'd be dead. I, I don't know because I know they've only got like two or three hits, but like I don't know if they'd have been given the chance to do that if it wasn't for seeing that this sort of thing was coming through. Because again, you've got to remember that Arctic Monkeys came through mainly through. Um, loops and that sort of thing, yeah. Through instrumentals before Alex Turner went. Oh, you know what? I'll I'll turn up and start. I'll start, start actually playing. Start whining about New York accent. <laughs> Do you want me to ruin your day? Oh, at when the, I'd love that. At the time of recording, so it's the twentieth of August. Uh, yesterday, Hot Chip released a new album. Oh, I'm, I know that because I was, <laughs> I was going to see them at Kendall Calling, and I think they, they clashed with, I think it was the Snuts. That's understandable, yeah. I've seen a third of Hot Chip Live, and I can't remember his name. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Alexis Taylor, I saw live. Mm. He, okay. opened for, he opened for Jarvis Cocker with his new album. Um, yeah, good work, Alexis. I can see why you got Hot Chip back together. <laughs> Um, but speaking of great music such as Hot Chips discography, <laughs> what what would you say is the best track on whatever people say I am? That's what I'm not. I think it's. Oh, there's songs that I have certain things towards. I love the start of Rich to Rubble from Rich to Rubble, mm-hmm. and that kind of not quite spoken word, but that kind of bit there talking about the bounces. I love that. Yeah. Certain bits and certain romance are brilliant. But I think Fake Tales of San Francisco is the one that I yeah. attach myself to the most. Just because it's, it, in a way, it kind of sums up what they were about at the time. It's staying close to what you know. It's, um, taking, it's taking the piss out of those who deserve to be taken the piss out of. Yeah. And it's it's just, yeah, doing things their own way. And just doing things, yeah, it, it's, it's also just a really good song. The way it builds and then crashes into similar way to View from the Afternoon. I think makes that the best album or best single on the album. The best single, single? on the album. That's, the, best, yeah. the best album on the album. Oh, I've, mate, I've, not, I've not been on a podcast for so long. <laughs> it doesn't help that we started this at like ten in the morning. But, you know, <laughs> some of us have got golf to play. Not proper golf. I'm not, I'm not not Tory, but I've got crazy golf to play. Yeah, you can get on the greens like one, yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, I live near a golf course. I walk past it when I go for my walks. And do you remember in lockdown when I was trying to look for chickens? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> when I, that, that completely just went from my mind for, for a when second. I was, when I was looking for chickens in lockdown, because I'd never seen a chicken until 2021. 
um, when I was looking for chickens, I thought they were wild chickens. Like I thought, I didn't know that all chickens have been domesticated. So I would walk past the golf course. I would walk the length of the golf course and then some. I would walk from one town to the next, which is like ten miles, looking for mm. chickens. Nothing. <laughs> but while I was on those, walks, that makes you sound like some sort of medieval peasant. <laughs> I'm searching for chickens so I feed my family. <laughs> it's um no 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 um I actually had to go a half hour drive away to see one. But I have seen one now from a distance. I didn't touch it, but didn't want to attack nature, you know. Um, yeah, I think uh, Fake Tales of San Francisco is like the dark horse of this album. It's really mm. not enough people talk about how good that uh, song is because obviously it's it's overshadowed by the best album track, which is I bet you look good on the dance floor because I'm a generic indie kid. Um, <laughs> Who spent too much time in Indian Sundance. Spent too much time doing a two-step head pop with a vodka cork in one hand and my other <laughs> hand in my pocket. Um, no, I think uh, this is the second listen I've done of this album. And what what I've noticed is that the tracks that aren't singles have improved marginally. You know, um, Red Light Indicates Doors of Secured is a great, great piece. Um, and like many pieces on this album, are guitar heavy. Um, that guitar music is something we, we spoke about very recently there. And it's hard to overstate how important that is, not just for Arctic Monkeys, but the wider genre that it would soon become. And I think that's why I like I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor as well, because while the lyrics are great and the drums are really heavy and everything just crashes together, you can still hear that guitar solo just scuttling through, and it's delightful. It's yeah, it, it, it's one of those where it's it just fits perfectly. Yeah. And I think because of the way everything's crashing around it, just having that, it's not even delicate, it's just the way it's, 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 it's really, yeah. it's really well produced in that way. Yeah. The production of this album is incredible, but is it, so we, we have essentially on this thousand one albums list, and then there's a couple extra that have been lopped off, um, space for one Arctic Monkeys album, because the people that made this list thought it's only one that needs putting on. Um, is this the album that should represent Arctic Monkeys on a list of the thousand and one best albums? I think it's the album which best represents what they were at the time, and this and in that mindset, it's the one which allows you to see who they were during the process of them becoming what they are now. Whether yes. whether or not they're good or not now is a whole other discussion. But do you this, want to have that discussion? <laughs> I'm very tempted, but I've not listened to AM enough times. I think I've only listened to it once in full in the last five years because I just it's, cannot stand it. It's not very good. It's fine. It's awful. It's, yeah, it's not exactly like suck it and see levels of fine, but it's, you know, do I want to know is always going to, and Arabella as well, but very broad generics on that one. Yeah, so um, that was a long, long answer, short answer. Yes, this should be on the. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. You wouldn't replace it for, say, Favourite Worst Nightmare. No, Favourite Worst Nightmare is good, but I think this yeah. puts them at a place which suits them within the time scale of which they're in. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Not Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino either, I imagine. As much as I love the Ultra Cheese, no. <laughs> that's See, that's the thing. It's kind of like, I feel like whatever people say I am, that's what I'm not, is the best representation of what Arctic Monkeys can do best. However, Favourite Worst Nightmare has better musically technical elements with stuff like mm. Brian Storm, Teddy Picker, 
whereas Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino, you're not going to like me for saying this, has better lyrical qualities. Um, oh, yeah. But oh, but yeah. whatever people say, and that's what I'm not, so sees them lurch towards what they would soon become. And they've not had an album... They've, they've not had an album since that that blends the two qualities of their music together so well. It's not yeah. my favourite Arctic Monkeys album, but it's absolutely the one that represents them best. Yeah. Yeah. Because the best one is Ultra Trees. <laughs> We're not going back to this discussion, honestly. I just think it needs a proper go around. People need to light up. Lighten up. That's it, I, I, I don't mind the album, but the Ultra Trees is the. I don't say the worst song on there because I've not heard it for a while, but it's down there. I'd say bottom third. NME ranked it a 13th out of all of the Arctic Monkeys tracks. No. Yeah. Really? Yeah, 13th. Oh, Makes me cry, that song. Yeah, I swear to God. Brings a tear to the old the old peepers. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, but very good song. Um, it's really not. I suppose we'll end on that lovely high note. <laughs> the Ultra Cheese being one of the greatest Arctic Monkey songs according to the minds of NME. Um, do you do you want to let people know where they can find your work and your Twitter and all that good Go stuff? On, give, um, give yourself um, a self-plug. I, I live on Twitter, basically. That is um, at JasonB underscore journo. Anywhere else will just be fed over from there. Perfect. You can catch all the Ebbs Fleet United scores on Jason's you can, Twitter. As they um, come in. Are they getting all alright this season? Um, oh, <laughs> well, it's weird. We're top of the table, haven't yeah. lost a game, but we finished our last game with nine men and a midfielder in goal. That is what you want to see from a front. So, it's, so yeah, today, we're playing today. We've got two of our best players out. Um, we've got one goalkeeper. He's 38 years old. So, yeah, I think things are looking okay. Yeah, two, two people it's... absent, 38-year-old man. It does sound like a nightclub. So, yeah. <laughs> It reminds me of Gatsby's. <laughs> um, One person yeah, that you yeah. never hear any songs playing from from the, um, whatever people say I am. I once requested Oasis in there. I got a dirty look. Don't like Oasis. I just thought that was the colloquial acceptable. Yeah, but he, 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 track. yeah, but he goes to Creamfields, doesn't he? It's it's different there. Hey, if Chase and Status play Creamfields, I'm going. That's my guilty pleasure. I'd love to see Chase and Status to be fair. Yeah, they did Newcastle a few years ago. They so. did. They played. Um, do you remember when it was first that first summer of lockdown and there was that big was yes that, yeah, yeah, yeah. They did that, didn't you could, they? and you could sit in a cattle pen <laughs> yeah you could pretend in like animals then, because I, I, went to see, I saw because I saw Frank Turner then yeah um, yeah you did Sam played then as well when he had one album and I thought ninety nine percent sure Chase and Status did a set as well it sounds about right doesn't it mm. um, yeah. But uh, until I get to Chase and Stairs, people can find me on Twitter at Ewan Gledo, E-W-A-N-G-L-E-A-D-O-W. Because apparently my name is very difficult to spell, uh, according to my postman. Uh, and you can also find my writing on Cult Following, Clapper, Geek Show, Daily Star, a couple other places, Newcastle World as well. Um, it's always nice to write about music for them. Um, but that's it. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Stick around for more awful Awful album takes from me and a variety of guests that have got to put up with that. So I think that's what three down, but there's still over a thousand to go. Well, so, no, there's not over a thousand if there's a thousand and one albums. No, no, no. So there's like 47 extra that. Oh, of course. From the yeah. list. I know where I'm at. Okay. I think there's a thousand. Me trying to be clever. Four. Never mind. I'll be dead by the time I finish this list. I think I'll make it to about 30. What, before you get bored? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of getting bored, let's end the episode there.